If you've been by Peoria City Hall lately, you've probably noticed workers drilling into the building's sandstone facade. So we are looking to repair pieces now so we don't have further problems in the future. Learn more about this historic preservation effort just ahead on All Things Peoria. Good afternoon, I'm Jody Holtz. Coming up, WCBU's Tim Shelley heads to Peoria City Hall to learn more about the work that's happening and why the original downtown Bergeners plays an integral role. And learn why the Peoria Park District has big hopes for a drone light show it's hosting in the River City this summer. It's something that hasn't been in Peoria before. Plus, a Peoria area mom explains why her young daughters launched a neurodiverse kid art shop. Those stories, plus local news just ahead. This is WCBU's All Things Peoria on 89.9 FM and WCBU.org. Broadcasting from the campus of Bradley University, this is WCBU's news magazine, All Things Peoria. I'm Jody Holtz. Thank you for choosing ATP on your Tuesday afternoon. If you've driven past Peoria City Hall recently, you've probably seen the work crews removing sandstone blocks from the historic building's facade. WCBU's Tim Shelley spoke to Stacy Peterson from Peoria City Government to explain what's happening. Currently, we're doing some restoration work on the exterior of City Hall, both on the side where Sonar Tide is located by the Civic Center and over on the parking lot side. The uh, gentleman from Autobomb, the master stone workers, the, pardon me, master stonemasons are out there replacing uh, stone that is 125 years old. And that stone, why does it need replaced now? So the stone, the exterior of our building is made from Lake Superior sandstone, which is a tremendous material. It can withstand incredible amounts of heat, uh, greater, I think goes up to 800 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's wonderful if you're looking at fire resistant materials, but it is also a little porous and prone to deterioration because of the elements. So we are looking to repair pieces now so we don't have further problems in the future. This sandstone, I mean, is this difficult material to get? Uh, where, where are you getting the replacement material? Sure. Lake Superior Sandstone now is incredibly difficult to get. Uh, at the time that this building was constructed, between 1897 and 1899, there were actually a lot of government buildings being built from this material. Uh, however, there are about three quarries where you could have found this material during that time, all located off of Lake Superior up in Michigan. We were really lucky because at the time that this building was built, we were able to use the waterways to help transport chunks of sandstone down to this location. However, as time went on, we found that it was much more difficult and incredibly costly to get replacement pieces. I guess you could look at this as fortunately or unfortunately, depending on your viewpoint, but when the Bergner's downtown location closed and was torn down, the exterior of that building was Lake Superior Sandstone. And the leaders at that time made an arrangement to take those stones and keep them in surplus for us for this building. Are there really any other buildings in this area that are made out of this stone even? Actually, there's a church that's located at the corner of Hancock and Monroe, right next to the Fire Central building, that is the exact same material. And if you look at the circular ring outside of the City Hall building between City Hall and the Civic Center, there's a ring and the base of it is made from that same Bergner's Lake Superior sandstone. But other than that, no, it's very, very unusual. So 
actually part of City Hall is going to be part of the old Bergners, actually. I mean, think about it. <laughs> if you think about it, yeah, we're actually sourcing products, right? Like it's a recycling movement, if you think about it. So it's history upon history, which from a cost-effective nature, from a sustainability nature, it's a really reassuring thing to see, history kind of combining with the different history. So the workers out here are replacing the old stone that's kind of weathered away and replacing it with some of that surplus stone. Uh, tell me a little bit about what they're doing, what they're finding, what their timeline is. So the workers from Autobahn, who are currently out there on the project, started this work a while ago, actually. It started with surveying the building and looking at the material and testing the material, things like porousness and was it deteriorating, and then kind of assessing measurements. But they didn't know how deep or wide those blocks were until they went in and took a piece out, revealing the um, hand-laid brick behind. It's kind of like a big uh, Lake Superior facade, almost. So they started, after that, they were able to figure out how much they needed, measuring by the foot, and then they went down to the surplus yard and they'd get big blocks and cut those to fit. And then they would come out and it's a very time-consuming, laborious procedure. They come down, they chip away the concrete, they pull the stone, they have to figure out if they can use the stone they've cut or do they need to split it in half? So finding the right puzzle piece for that right piece of the puzzle, put the mortar back in, and then they put some shims in around it, make sure it sets, and then the next day they they take the shims out, put in the rest of the mortar, and it's done. But just as it was done in 1899 by hand, it's being done by hand today. So it's going to take a little bit. We're expecting this round of repairs to be done in the spring. And at this phase of the repair project, they're only working from the ground floor up to 16 feet above because that first level of the building is where you've seen the most deterioration from the elements, from salt and brine treatments on our city streets, uh, and from you know just regular wear and tear. So uh, how much has all this cost? I know you got those numbers there. I do have those numbers. So making sure that our buildings, all of our buildings are maintained is something that our public work staff is always taking into consideration. In 2022, we had budgeted $100,000 for repairs, and we did a lot of exterior repairs on this building. And in this current budget, we're looking at $50,000 worth of repair that's going to include mortary, mortar work, um, some tuck pointing, and then the exterior repairs that you're seeing now. And then our facilities manager is always assessing the building to see where the next trouble spots are going to be. In fact, he was here yesterday kind of looking at surface cracks and talking to the stonemasons about maybe going through and doing a report on what they see for future improvements and maintenance. So maintaining an old historic building like this, it's really a constant job. It never ends, really. <laughs> it never ends. And when you think about it, it took two years to build this building. And it's been here for almost 125. We're going to have our 125th anniversary next year. And it cost at that time $235,000. So we want to make sure that we are really maintaining the investment that was put into this building. We get a lot of use out of it. It's a jewel of downtown. And you know, when you look at that kind of material that we're working with, once something starts deteriorating, we've learned it can be very, very difficult to find the replacements for it. That was the city of Peoria's Stacy Peterson speaking with Tim Shelley about the work on City Hall. And just ahead here on ATP, you'll hear how two Peoria area children launched their very own art shop and how their parents are teaching them how to create Yes Pass in the process. It's a story you won't want to miss and it's in just a few minutes right here on all things peoria
You're listening to All Things Peoria. I'm Jody Holtz. Two state grants will fund construction of a new splash pad at Lakeview Park and a land acquisition for the Illinois River Bluff Trail. WCBU's Tim Shelley spoke with Peoria Park District Executive Director Emily Cahill to learn more. These dollars are going to help us to build a splash pad in Lakeview Park. I don't know that it will go in that direct footprint, um, but as we demolish that and turn that space back into green space and open up visual and physical access to Owens Recreation Center, then we look forward to adding a splash pad to somewhere else in the park as an offset for that loss. We're really excited about that opportunity, and and really in 2016 when we closed the pool, we knew that we needed to do something in this part of the community, and a splash pad has been certainly on our wish list, and we've been looking at it and trying to allocate funds over the course of a couple of years in our bond issue process. And this grant from the state allows us to get this done. And so our target would be to have a splash pad in this park next summer. And splash pads are a little easier to maintain than a pool, right? Uh, you can say that again about six times. Yes, splash pads are much easier to maintain. They're much easier to operate. Uh, you don't have a lifeguard on duty. It's something that the water turns on and off when people are there and either push the button or it's motion activated. So it is more uh, certainly environmentally friendly. The chemicals may or may not be a part of it, depending on the kind of system that you use. Uh, But the overhead cost for something like a splash pad, we could operate with our annual budget at Gwen Family Aquatic Center. We could probably operate six or seven or eight splash pads. That's just the reality of how these work. Um, I'm I'm not promising six or seven or eight splash pads, Tim, but just know that we know that we need to move in that direction in some of our spaces. Pools certainly have a role, and they're an important part of a community. We also believe that splash pads are an important part of our community because they do give people water access that's much, you know, it's a longer season that you can have a splash pad turned on. It's longer hours that people can access it every day. Uh, It just has much more really flexible use than a pool does. Some of the money you got will also be used to purchase a uh, 40-acre parcel of land, which I believe has a uh, use in a trail project. Yes. Yeah, so we have um, we have trails that kind of start and stop all the way from Grandview Drive up through to Camp Wakanda. And so this 40-acre parcel is actually a really critical piece in our puzzle to make a continuous trail from south to north along the Illinois River Valley. So it is something that we've been looking at for several years again, trying to figure out what's the best way to do this? How do we make this work? And so when the opportunity arose for us to write a grant to help with that land acquisition, we jumped on it and we're so pleased that the state saw the value in that opportunity as well. Certainly longer trails that you aren't just walking in a loop are something that people become more and more interested in. It feels like every day, right? That ecotourism, the idea of people getting out and being able to spend a whole day Seeing new parts of the community is something that we look really forward to supporting. As a park district, we have more than 60 miles of trails. This is something, though, that would be just really, really unique in our system to have that sort of a natural setting trail that goes from basically one end of the community to the other. And uh, help me visualize, uh, where exactly is this 40-acre parcel that the park district will be acquiring? Uh, It's, I believe, north of Detweiler Park. So it helps with some of those connectors. Um, it's not a parcel you necessarily can see from the road, but it is something that as you look at how you might connect trails, your choice is to, to take this 40-acre chunk and really make a difference or have to start you know, buying parcels like one at a time. And so this is something that will make a big dent in that gap, and we look forward to working with the owner now to make that happen. So 
it, it's, a, it's a long process. And uh, switching gears a little bit, there's also an exciting announcement from the Peoria Park District here about a festival coming up uh, this June, uh, Parkapalooza, and it'll feature uh, a rather unique thing we haven't seen here in Peoria before, the uh, a drone light show. Tell me a little bit about that. So this is really fun, right? As we looked at this opportunity, which is made possible by a, a grant that was advocated for by Representative Jahan Gordon Booth, uh, it's an opportunity to bring tourism dollars to Peoria. And so we wanted to capitalize on this opportunity by bringing experiences to Peoria that haven't been here before. And so as we look at the three-day weekend, we are bringing in the world's largest bounce house, um, which is something that traditionally, if that was something that was interesting to you and sounds fun, which I think it sounds totally fun, you'd have to go to Chicago or St. Louis, a larger city to have that experience. So that was really the foundation of our, our three-day weekend that we're planning. And as we looked at all of the other complimentary experiences, you know, somebody's like, well, what about fireworks? Okay, well, fireworks are, we do those, that's great. But drones are really the next big thing when it comes to those kinds of shows. They make shapes. They have movement. Um, it's really, really fantastic. We've been working with a company that actually did a drone show uh, at the pre-Grammys. So just as the Grammys were starting with the red carpet, the drone show that you saw on TV is the same company that's coming here. Um, and they will do two 15-minute shows. We are working with them now on what the content of those shows are. It'll be set to music. But it is, from our perspective, it's really, it's not only just cool to see that over the river, uh, but it's also really environmentally friendly, right? Fireworks have a lot of issues when it comes to the debris that drops out of the sky. Um, this is something that we believe is a really green approach to that sort of visual experience, and it's something that hasn't been in Peoria before. That was Peoria Park District Executive Director Emily Cahill speaking with Tim Shelley. This is All Things Peoria. You're listening to 89.9 FM in WCBU.org. This is All Things Peoria. I'm Jody Holtz. After living and working in New York City for over a decade, Jennifer Rosa, her husband, and their two little girls had to make an emergency move back to their Peoria area roots after noticing a sudden neurological shift in their oldest daughter, Larkin. In this conversation, Rosa tells me more about her daughters, Larkin and Willa, how she and her husband develop what they call Yes Pass for their children, and about their family run neurodiverse kid art shop pretendly we just continue to try and find the yes paths for our kids and we found that with easter seals and all these other resources and with family but also just with the mindset of you know if it doesn't exist you make it exist mm -hmm. and for us we've had to see that head on with our young girls our oldest she's autistic and our youngest is neurotypically developing now where we are in the last year and a half they've created their own little business called pretendly our, our kids really like art they like music and everything but they're very much their own little people they're not like just us they are themselves and especially our oldest she has um, a mindset of like she really has an intent to make sure that she's giving things to people. I realize, oh, wow, when she makes something from the heart, she spends all this time on it or even whips up something really quickly that's beautiful. She wants someone to have it. So we noticed she had this kind of spark of generosity that we just never wanted to iron out of her. So we played with the idea, well, maybe you could sell your art online someday when you're, you know, grown up. Like, yeah, that'd be fun. Well, fast forward, you know, we find all these yes pads. We have this great team, you know, as accepting as people can be. Um, neurodiversity is one of those things, too, where this is maybe a controversial view, but it's the way we look at disability or neurotypes can sometimes be treated 
in a way that um, it's one of the last forms of segregation that's like widely accepted, where you see this separateness. And with us at Easter Seals, we always felt this with. It always felt very integrated. And we always felt like they're walking alongside us, with mm-hmm. us. And we realized, okay, our kids are going to have this sense of rejection from time to time. But this time, they weren't bouncing back to their chipper, happy selves like they normally do. And we recognized that, and we thought, okay. You know what we say, if it doesn't exist, you make it exist. So we're going to make understanding exist. Instead of feeling this loss, we had to try to find the gain. And so every week when they kind of felt bummed out we weren't doing this other thing, I said, nope, we're not going to – we can visit sadness, but we're not going to live there. We're going to – let's do this thing you want to do. And they said, okay. And so that's when the ball started rolling. Well, what will we call it? Well, Willa always used to ask us to play pretendly with her um, because she would just kind of adverbify everything, put the L-Y on all the words. It was really cute. We never corrected it because it was too cute. I'm glad we didn't. She wanted to name it pretendly. And I'm like, oh, that's a cute name for an art shop. And so it just – the ball came rolling, you know, and – we were doing it just for ourselves and for our kids to help them bounce back. And that was the thing that kind of gave them their spark back, which they had never lost before. Mm-hmm. But this was the thing that, okay, now we're we're jazzed back up. Yeah. 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 And you mentioned a little bit about how Pretendly sort of gave your children the spark back. Could you elaborate a little bit more on that? I guess, what do you think Pretendly is providing them that was perhaps um, maybe missing or just a little bit muted before? They like doing art. I mean, it's super simple in that way. And it's an incredibly regulating activity, especially for our oldest, um, who, you know, she's autistic. And this is kind of her preferred activity. And it regulates her. But it, it gave them kind of this ownership. And, you know, they saw mommy and daddy had kind of our own business and things. So, like, we had business cards and whatnot. And one day they saw us making those. And you don't know what your children see. But they saw us making our business cards and said, well, what about our business cards? <laughs> so they helped with the color choice. So they did these hot pink business cards with a little bit of, you know, Willis art on it. And But it doesn't have their names on it or anything. But it's just something that when we have events and things, I mean, they like to have those on them. And they'll give them to people. But um, it's definitely it, – it goes with the mindset and kind of this tagline that we have of spread the friendly with pretendly. Because even if we didn't have that tagline, they'd still be doing it. They'd still be giving people things and now they have little business cards that give people and mm-hmm. that kind of will get seen places. We were able to um, kind of have little connections with other organizations and things that kind of saw the story and realized, you know, the way that we view neurodiversity, it, it, it just needs, there needs to be more education about it and not in a separate way, not just in, you know, this is a month of awareness or acceptance even, just the two things that we can't control in life are where we're from and how we're formed. If we were to assess everyone in a room, we'd probably all have maybe different types of diagnoses and maybe we just don't know and it shouldn't be a big deal. It shouldn't be, oh, you're different. It's just we literally all are different. And so let's just show what we can do without that feeling like it's limiting us in any way. Throughout this experience of having Pretendly, what is it like for you and your husband to, I guess, watch them create in this way? I mean, we work for our kids. (laughs) You know, um, it's fun to get to see them do something they like to do. And it doesn't feel like work or anything. And they get to have a stake in it. We ask them, do you want us to put this on there? Do you want it on this kind of item? Mm -hmm. That, That, you know, this, that, and the other. But I mean... It fills your cup to be able to see your kids do something that they like to do. Mm-hmm. And But we also know they're so young and what they like could change over the years. We know that even having this little business of theirs, the mission of that can change over the years. And, you know, we're curious how the girls will want to see it grow because it'll be kind of their thing. You know, we're kind of doing the grown-up work now. And then if they want to absorb that as they're older, what they hope for it to become, I could see it being something where it grows a community of other folks of, you know, all ages of neurodivergent and not into kind of an integrated, creative, collaborative type community. Yeah. And I guess on that note, you know, kind of overall, what are you hoping that, you know, Pretendly and and the work that your daughters are doing 
you know, kind of teaches the community, what do you hope that they take away from this? I feel like a lot of things all at once right now. Because I, I, I'm thinking from my mommy brain of I know how far we have come mm-hmm. from when she was in that hospital room to now she's handing out business cards to people. And now <laughs> we're here, you know, giving a little interview and, and things like that where it's it's a real thing. Um, I want people to realize that it, it doesn't have to all be despair. And the same thing that we tell our kids, you know, you can feel any emotion, and but you don't have to live in the despair all the time. You can try to start little by little to offer yourself that yes path, mm-hmm. just sweeping things out of the way until you find that yes path. And it's muddy and dirty, but you can clear the way. So we're hoping that people will see that light, um, that they'll see it through our kids' friendly little faces um, to spread the friendly. Um, you know, we, we hope that people will, you know, go to their website if they want to support that way. See us in the community if you want to support that way. If they're friends who we should say hello to, to message us and let us know. With our daughter, when she started all these therapies, we were really careful. We didn't want it to be something where it changed who she was because we didn't think that she should have to change everything about her if it's regulating her and if it's something that's a part of who she is. It sounds lofty. I want to change the world. <laughs> but really, it's that mindset of, you know, we want people to be able to see who she really is and how we can accept each other because there's a lot of accessibility that needs to be seen across the board, not just neurodiversity, but equity and accessibility for all types of things because it's not a scary thing for us to all to be different. That was Jennifer Rosa. For those interested in learning more about Pretendly and or buying Larkin and Willow's artwork, visit pretendly.fun. And that is all for today's episode of All Things Peoria from WCBU, a public service of Bradley University and Illinois State University. I'm Jody Holtz. Great to be with you today. Story help today came from Tim Shelley and Holden Kellogg produced this episode of All Things Peoria. For more information on all of these stories, you can head to WCBU.org. And of course, you can also subscribe to the All Things Peoria podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or the NPR app. And we do want to know what you think of the show. You can let us know by commenting on our Facebook page for Peoria Public Radio. Or give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at WCBU Radio. This is 89.9 FM in WCBU.org. Peoria Public Radio, parts of the NPR Network.